Hi, everyone. This is part one of a two-part series where I interview adjunct Cornell professor and founder of Symphonica, Sue Hertz. I want to thank her for making time to do this interview and sharing with me her experiences. Without further ado, let's get right into it. So um, could you just tell me a little bit about yourself and your area of focus? Sure. Um, I'm president and chief scientist at Symphonica, a small text-to-speech company, which is located in Ithaca, New York, where Cornell University is located. And I am also an adjunct professor at Cornell, where I have taught courses in speech synthesis and phonetics. At Symphonica, we're focused on developing text-to-speech technology. That is software that converts text into speech. In the last few years, we have had a small business innovation research grant from the National Institutes of Health. And this grant has been aimed at developing more expressive speech um, in English, but eventually other languages too. And by expressive speech, I mean speech that sounds angry, happy, disappointed, neutral, sad, etc. And this project is especially important for people who can't speak, as these um, people require the use of synthetic speech, and there have been really limited options when it comes to sounding expressive. So I think that's um, it's very important for them. Um, one thing that's important to note about our technology is that Unlike other text-to-speech systems, we use an exclusively knowledge-based approach. Um, a knowledge-based approach is one in which uh, the developers, linguists in our case, um, carefully handcraft rules to produce the perceptually important acoustic properties from which a waveform is generated. Um, this differs from other techniques that rely more on um, corpora of natural speech. So for example, in one technique, people record a bunch of natural speech and then select little snippets of the natural speech and piece them together to produce the final speech output. There are also machine learning approaches that are becoming more and more popular. Um, in which models are trained on the basis of speech corpora that are annotated with important information and the algorithms are derived from, from um, through that training. So, yeah, that's pretty much what we do, or what I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And can I ask, like, what kind of got you inspired to, in, or what inspired you to become a linguist or in the field of linguistics, and then especially at the company you are right now? Okay. Um, well, my path was a bit of an unplanned journey, I have to say, in which one thing led to the to another. I never would have envisioned early on that this is what I'd be doing, but I was always interested in language. And I got interested in linguistics in a class I took in college. 
Um, it was a class just in general linguistics, but I got, I was particularly fascinated by the section on sound systems. And I remember being really interested in learning that some um, speakers of English had a distinction, a distinction between ah and aw, the sounds on aw, as in the words C-O-T and C-A-U-G-H-T, which I didn't have at the time, but I have since acquired having been where I am for quite a while, the East Coast. Um, but I don't know, for some reason that interested me and I got more and more interested in sound systems and dialects. And, and I ended up with a double major in German, which had always interested me, um, and linguistics. And I decided I wanted to combine these two interests in graduate school. So I found a program, namely the program at Cornell that had a strong um, program in Germanic linguistics. And that's what brought me to Cornell. But I soon um, got disillusioned with Germanic linguistics um, in part because the job prospects were so limited. And I switched to general linguistics. Um, and at about the same time, I took a computer class and got totally fascinated by computers. And you have to understand this was in the 1970s. So it, I knew virtually nothing about computers when I, before taking this class. And I do mean nothing. <laughs> but I was really um, fascinated by the potential of combining linguistics and computers. Um, and so I ended up taking a minor in computer science in the computer science department. And then when it came time to do my PhD dissertation, I wanted to combine my newfound interest in computer science with linguistics. And we were really lucky at the time because we happened to have a phonetics lab and it had a computer um, and with a speech, a hardware speech synthesizer attached. The speech synthesizer was um, a device that took perceptually important frequencies and amplitudes and pitch and created a speech waveform from that information. At least you would hope, you hoped if you gave it the right information that it would sound like speech. <laughs> Um, and so I decided I wanted to explore a particular theory I had about sound change through speech synthesis. I thought it was important to consider the more continuous aspects of speech, not just the discrete aspects, such as there's a B and a W in this language, but how, you know, what's the difference acoustically between the B and the W and how do we perceive that distinction? And could that explain why the the change from B to W is a common sound change and that sort of thing. Now this computer at the time had a lar physically large disc that held all of two and a half megabytes of memory, right? And you probably can't relate to this. and. 64K bytes of RAM. Um, and so it was a bit of a challenge developing a text-to-speech system on such a machine. 
And I quickly discovered that the programming languages that were available at the time were not all that well suited to testing linguistic hypotheses. Every time I changed my hypothesis, it required rewriting the whole program. And I thought, well, this isn't going to work. So I decided to switch my PhD focus to developing a tool with which linguists could express rules in a more meaningful way, you know, in one line saying, um, you know, a sound is lengthened before another sound rather than in half a page of code or whatever. So I developed a tool called Speech Research System or SRS for my PhD dissertation. When I was um, finished with that, I wanted to use that tool to actually do something with it. And there were not many places in the world at that time that actually had computers and speech with speech synthesizers. So I thought, okay, I've got to stay at Cornell for a while and play with this tool I developed to test some of my linguistic ideas. Um, to support myself, I got a number of consulting jobs in which I used the tool um, in one case to develop actual text-to-speech rules for a chip that a manufacturer was developing. And for that particular project, I hired um, or I enlisted the services of two computer scientists, and we kept... Um, realizing that there were ways to develop a bigger and better tool, started realizing what some of the limitations of the particular tool I had developed for my thesis were. Um, and when that company, when that project finished, I decided, okay, now it's time to develop this bigger and better system that will let us write even better linguistic rules more clearly um, and so I developed what was called the, or started the development of what um, I called the Delta system because it was um, based on a multi-tiered utterance representation with different streams of information. Like uh, there's a syllable stream and a phrase stream and, um, and acoustic streams showing the relationship of various acoustic properties to those higher level linguistic units, sort of like a river delta, um, hence the name. And there turned out that there was an interest in what I was doing. There were some companies that were interested, and the interest by these different companies led me in 1983 to actually start a company um, to, develop, to develop the system and subsequently text-to-speech programs using the system. The Delta system provided a full-fledged programming language and the whole interactive environment and the um, whole interactive environment for um, expressing and testing uh, linguistically motivated linguistic algorithms. So um, so I kind of bootstrapped that system for a while and eventually got the first of what would turn out to be 15 or so um, small business innovation research grants from the federal government and some state grants and developed um, a set of text-to-speech rules 
for English using the Delta system. Now, jumping ahead in the interest of time, um, probably the most notable, subsequent most notable event was one in 1995 when I hired a public relations firm because, you know, the internet really didn't exist. <laughs> and so getting to get the word out like, hey, we have these text-to-speech rules. Um, uh, I hired this public relations firm and they put a little blurb in the New York Times and IBM saw it. And one thing led to another and eventually IBM and Eloquent Technology formed a strategic alliance for the development of um, additional languages. And at that point I hired um, linguists from all over the world and we developed um, text-to-speech rules for 13 different languages and dialects. Um, and let's see, what next? Um, uh, yeah, and so the text-to-speech programs that we developed with um, the Delta system were used in a number of applications, but what I'm actually proudest of is its use by blind people and screen readers. Um, the, the program was called ETI Eloquence, and it became one of the most widely used programs in screen readers for blind people. And it's still heavily used today, some you know, 20, no, more than 25 years later for that purpose. So that gives me great satisfaction. Um, and then in 2001, I sold the company to another speech company, which um, has since been acquired by other companies and most recently Microsoft. So <clears throat> that's what led me to my company. At the same time, I continued to do basic research and linguistics and many of the models that I develop underlie the rules that, the synthesis rules that we ultimately developed. So that's kind of my path. But as you can tell, I, I, you know, when I started out in Germanic linguistics, I could never have envisioned that I'd ultimately be running a speech synthesis company. So you never know. A very windy road, but it led you to a, a good place, it seems like. so. Yeah. Um, and I know you mentioned like the question of how we perceive sounds differently. And then you also talk about the challenges of using early computers. Uh, were there any like major challenges or questions that you also had while you were on your path to becoming where you are now? Well, you know, it was important in those <laughs> way back then in those days um, to keep everything small for the kinds of hardware that existed. And so that meant only producing what was perceptually relevant. You know, speech has all kinds of information in it if you analyze a speech waveform, but it was impossible to model everything that is in speech, um, nor is it really necessary. And so my, my interest um, in speech perception was very useful in developing these rules because I, tried to only model, the biggest challenge was to only model what was important for distinguishing 
one sound from another and producing the appropriate intonation and um, making the speech intelligible. So that was really um, the biggest challenge. Today, that's not as much of a challenge because people just throw gobs of data <laughs> right at the system and hope <laughs> that something good will come out. But um, yeah, I'm a big believer even today in um, that knowledge is important and speech perception and knowledge of speech perception is important because um, first of all, you know, there are still, it's still important for some applications to keep things small, like for embedded systems on devices. And secondly, I think one can develop better systems if one guides them with the appropriate knowledge. You still have to give systems, you know, certain utterances and know which ones are important and which ones have manifest all the appropriate distinctions. And you have to label the speech in appropriate ways, even if you're extracting algorithms from them with the appropriate information that people actually, that are account for the speech patterns. So I'm a big um, believer in utilizing um, acoustic information about acoustic phonetics and speech perception. I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, yeah, it definitely does. And so you're talking a lot about how you got into this. Is there any, maybe a piece of advice you could give to someone who's interested in this field and if they want to get more involved? When you say this field, do you mean linguistics or speech synthesis? Uh, both. <laughs> or both. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, go to a school with a good program in linguistics. That's probably obvious. Um, I do think it's important uh, if you want, well, certainly if you want to work um, at a commercial company, it's very important to get a good background in computer programming. Um, and that's useful regardless, right? Um, even if you're just in theoretical linguistics, it's useful to be able to analyze data and I mean, programming is just really useful. So those would be my two, um, you know, there are, there are also programs in computational linguistics, but just getting a good fundamental, you know, foundation in linguistics and linguistics and programming, I think are important. Thank you so much for listening. This marks the end of part one make sure to go check out part two. I'll see you all there. Have a good one.